The Old Testament is from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 7 and 15 through 16. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. The epistle is from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. A reading from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. This text will also serve as the basis for today's sermon. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, 
Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to you. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In our text for today, Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and killed. We hear those words so often, they just sort of like go right over our heads. You hear them almost every Sunday. You will either hear it in the liturgy or you will hear it in the hymns that we sing in the service. Or like today, in the text that was read from today's Holy Gospel. Like for example, we sang about it this past Wednesday evening when we sang, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. Really common, isn't it? Jesus died. But now, I'm asking you to do something this morning. Something you need to do. Something I need to do. And what is it? To put yourself in Peter's shoes. You've heard the saying, don't judge another person unless you've walked a mile in their shoes. So, for a moment this morning, put yourself in Peter's shoes and imagine hearing the words of Jesus for the very first time. Because this is the very first time in Mark's gospel where Jesus predicts his passion. The Son of Man 
must suffer many things and be rejected and die and on the third day rise again. Jesus spoke those words right after he had asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus, you're it. You're the one we've been looking for and yearning for. You're the one that the Heavenly Father promised to Adam and Eve in the garden. The Messiah. You're the one that made the promise to Abraham that out of the loins of Abraham there would be one who would come who would be a blessing not only to Abraham, but this one would be a blessing to all people in the world. Jesus, you're the one that is the promise that Moses made, this great prophet that would be like unto Moses, but greater than Moses, the one people ought to listen to. Jesus, you are our king. You're the one who's going to get us out of this mess. Jesus, you're God's son. Peter knew. But then he heard what hit him like a ton of bricks. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and killed. Now there's a kick in the gut. And so Peter objects. Of course he objects. And if this was the very first time you heard it, what about you? He, and it's not a very tame word, he doesn't say, oh no. The text says, he rebuked Jesus. The same word that Jesus used in his first miracle in Mark's gospel, where he tells the evil spirit, to shut up. What happens? Jesus turns and rebukes Peter. And talk about a rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. That's shocking. That Peter, that Jesus would call Peter Satan. But then think about it. Last Sunday was the first Sunday in Lent. And as we always hear on the first Sunday in Lent, the temptation of Jesus. You see, it's Satan's goal to stop the atonement from happening. 
It's Satan's goal to stop Jesus from accomplishing the mission on which the Father has sent him. And last week we heard about how Satan tried to stop him in the wilderness. But it didn't work. He tried to stop him at the synagogue in Capernaum when the man with the evil spirits or the unclean spirit spoke up. And Jesus muzzled him. It doesn't stop, my friends, my brothers and sisters. Satan keeps on trying. Just like in last Sunday's gospel, Mark lets us know it's not just three temptations. It's temptations all those 40 days and nights in the wilderness. This time, instead of coming as Satan or one of his minions like the synagogue in Capernaum, this time Satan comes to Jesus through a friend, an associate. I bet he'll listen to Peter. Satan just wants Jesus to say no. No to the cross. No to suffering and dying in our place. No, because, well, that you mention it, there might be another way. Now, I'm sure you could argue that Peter had good intentions. They was looking out for Jesus. But... The way Peter is going, it's a road that's the way of Satan, which means it's a road to hell. And you've heard the saying, the road to hell is paved with a lot of good intentions. And Jesus sees through all of this. He knows who's really behind it all. That's why he speaks the way he does to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Because the way I'm going is the way it has to be. There is no other way. There is no better way. There is no alternative. I came into this world and I took on human nature with the full intention of going to the cross to take your place, the place of every single individual in this world. Like St. Paul said in our epistle lesson for today, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you know, perhaps that was part of what was going through Peter's head. Don't you get that way? You're so ashamed of what you've done. It's almost impossible to believe that even God would forgive you. That Peter was not worth dying for. That the Son of Man, to die for him, or to paraphrase what we heard from Romans today, Maybe for a righteous man, perhaps 
someone will die. But I'm not righteous. No, we're not. That's what the Bible teaches. We're not righteous. We're not good. We're failures, selfish and smug. We're impetuous. We're stubborn and obstinate. We're rebellious. We're sinners. Why would God die for a wretch like me? For you. For all. Who are busily destroying this world. Who go against his will. Who mess up marriages and friendship. Who take advantage of others. Who break our word. Who fail to help those in need. Who take God for granted. Who like Peter. Say to God. No. You can't do this. To try and stop and prevent what's happening in our lives so we can think we will get something better according to what we think as man's wisdom, human wisdom teaches. Jesus, you're the Son of God. Why would you die for us? No, Lord, don't. But he will, and he did. For while we were weak, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for me, for you, for all. Not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, but because he loves you. Because you and I could never save ourselves. So he died for you. He wanted to. Seeing us in our slavery to sin pained him more than those nails that affixed him to the tree. Seeing us lost and helpless stung him much more than any amount of rejection. Seeing what our outcome would be without him. Hell is why he came down to rescue us and to come into our world. And when he was hanging on that accursed tree of the cross, suffering and bleeding and dying for our sins, he was mocked again, wasn't he? He saved others, but he can't save himself. They were wrong. They were wrong. It wasn't because he couldn't save himself, because he did rise from the dead. But he wasn't there to save himself. He was there to save you. He was there to save me. And so what kept him on the cross was his love. His compassion for sinners like you and I. Such are the wonderful gifts of God. 
We don't deserve them. But he gives them to us in abundance. God gives us his son with the cross and his forgiveness. His word, holy baptism, the Lord's Supper, and holy absolution. He gives us his spirit, his guidance, his protection, his angels, his blessings, his ear to hear our prayers, his fatherly goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in us. He gives us his church so that we could be together and receive his good gifts this day and every Lord's day. Do we need that he hasn't given us? What do we have that hasn't come from him? We deserve, just like we sing, nothing but grief. But he proclaims pardon. The Father in Jesus gives us everything. And if you need further convincing, if you're here this morning and you're weary and heavy laden, burdened with your sins because you think this could not all possibly be for you, know who's telling you that. Satan is awfully good at accusing us. And remember, he wasn't done with Peter. On Monday, Thursday evening, he was at it again. And Peter denied him. But that didn't stop Jesus, the good shepherd, from speaking a word to him. A word of hope, a word of promise. And then after the resurrection, a word of absolution. Not the temptation of Satan, not the rebuking of his closest disciples, not the thought of suffering and rejection he was going to undergo. Nothing would stop Jesus, not even death. Because Jesus says to Peter and the others, after the third day, he will rise again. And that happened just as surely as his suffering and death. And now what for us? We have a cross too to take up and deny ourselves, to say no to sin and yes to God. No, our life is not as the world would look at it, a life of glory, but a life under the cross. But in this all, you can be sure and know that the one whose hands and feet were pierced were pierced for you. And he will not forget you in your struggles, but he's still here with you. And sending his angels to serve you. So repent. Turn from those sins that have sent you down the path right alongside Peter 
and the rest of us. And after the service is over, you can come to the table and you will know for sure when Jesus says to you, this is my body. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. We kneel for confession.